On this weekend of Rise Tech, Brian G. Curtis Franklin and I talk about the future of network security and the game-changing Sassy. We'll get into what that is. Plus, as part of our host roundtable today, we're going to navigate you through the maze of document and file management solutions out there. Should you go on-prem? Should you go in the cloud? Should you strike a balance between accessibility and information rights? We're going to dive deep into the details of document and case management systems. You definitely shouldn't miss it. Twy on the set. Podcasts you love. From people you trust. This is Twit. This is Twyatt This Week in Enterprise Tech, episode 563, recorded September 29th, 2023. Don't drop your file drawers. This episode of This Week in Enterprise Tech is brought to you by Nareva. It's a first, Nareva's new Pro Series, the HDL 310 for large rooms and the HDL 410 for extra large rooms, gives you uncompromised audio and systems that are incredibly simple to set up, manage, and deploy at scale. Learn more at Nareva.com slash twit and by our friends it pro tv now aci learning aci's new solution insights assists in identifying and fixing skill gaps in your it teams visit go.acilearning.com slash twit twit listeners can receive up to 65 percent off an it pro enterprise solution plan after completing their form based on your team's size you'll receive a properly quoted discount tailored to your needs Welcome to this week in Enterprise Tech, the show that is dedicated to you, the enterprise professional, the IT pro, and that geek who just wants to know how this world is connected. I'm your host, Louis Moreski, your guide through the big world of the enterprise, but I can't guide you by myself. I'm going to bring some professionals in and some experts, starting their very own Mr. Brian Chi. He's all around tech geek, network guy, you name it. He does everything. Chibert, has been your week? Has, how's your week been? What, what, what have you been up to, actually? Actually, I've been up. <laughs> <laughs> it's stuck. I was stuck in a boom lift. Um, I'm so I'm a little crispy today, and uh, so little did I know that boom lifts that have an extender arm, if you manage to tilt it even a little bit, in fact, one set of wheels up on the curb, one set of wheels down on the pavement is enough to set off the um, tilt alarm. And me and the guy up there were going, uh, "How do we get out of this?" And finally managed to get the um, head groundskeeper over and explain it to us. And we swung the boom over just as the boom finally got close to the ground so it wouldn't be, you know, in danger of tipping over. Um, the alarm went off and we're able to move again. Em- really embarrassing then, funny now, but I give credit to the head groundskeeper. He um, did not die laughing. Um, so I think I'm going to make sure he gets a nice cold six pack um, to say thank you. <laughs> I'm glad you didn't get stuck up there all day. So that's that's good. Appreciate that. Well, good. Well, welcome back. And we also have to welcome back our very own Mr. Curtis Franklin. He's principal analyst and I'm Deanne, of course, the man who always knows what's going on in the enterprise. Curtis, uh, what's going on this week? What's keeping you busy? Well, I have kept my feet firmly planted on the ground, and uh, while I've had them there, I've been doing things like writing. I've um, had a piece uh, up on dark reading this week, been helping some of my colleagues do the same sort of thing, been researching a new uh, article that's going to be coming out on Omnia.com for our subscribers, and... I have to say, it is getting to be that time of year. I'm starting to think about what's happened in 2023 and trends to look out for in 2024. I'd love the Twyatt Riot's help on uh, on that latter one. If you've got something that you think is going to be big in cybersecurity, please let me know. At the end of the uh, the podcast, I will let folks know how they can get that headed my way. Well, thanks, guys, for being here. We should definitely get started. Lots to talk about today. Now, we're going to discover the future of network security in the game-changing SASE technology. That's right. In the digital age, every click matters, and we want to make sure you're equipped well. So we're going to talk about what that means and how you can take utilization of it. Of course, we also have the host roundtable today. That's right. We're going to talk about and help you navigate through the maze of document and file management systems that are out there, whether we should digitally transform you into a SaaS service, into a an online service. Should you be a private network service? Should you be a, roll your own service? We'll definitely talk about that and how you can get started there. So lots to talk about. Definitely stick around. But before we do, let's go ahead and jump 
into this week's news blips. Breaking news on the tech security front. Google has unveiled a critical zero-day vulnerability in its Chrome browser that harks back to a similar disclosure just a little over two weeks ago. Notably, this isn't just a Chrome concern, though. Mozilla's Firefox has been identified as susceptible to the bug as well, tagged as CVE-2023-5270. This Ars Technica article goes delves into the details here. The vulnerability is rooted into a widely utilized code library for processing media files, specifically the VP8 format. For those acquainted with the libvpx, file you can may recognize it as the backbone for many packages across platforms like ubuntu and debian in addition industry giants such as skype adobe vlc and even android rely on the same library but there's a caveat researchers underscored that the vulnerability targets vpa encoding hence packages using that strictly for decoding can actually breathe a sigh of relief here however major browsers particularly those chromium based and platforms exposing VP8 encoding capabilities from libvpx to its JavaScript are squarely in the crosshairs here. Within the wilds attacks already exploiting the Zis Zero Day, Google's threat analysis group indicates it's used by a commercial surveillance entity. Google, to their credit, was swift in its response, releasing a patch just two days after the vulnerability's discovery. Updates are available for both Chrome and Firefox. Now, a significant observation here. Both this and the earlier zero-day vulnerability stemming from a buffer overflow is allowing a potential remote code execution for malicious web pages. Both are also involved in media libraries released by Google over a decade ago, crafted in the venerable C programming language, widely considered unsafe given its vulnerabilities in memory corruption. I want to end the blip with a word of caution, of course, for those using apps of platforms centered around VPA, especially for the video encoding. It's time to be vigilant. The full implications of this CVE are still unfolding, so forcing a browser update will be in your best interest. I hear it quiet. We've been saying that cybersecurity is about far more than just computers for a long time. And now the Department of Homeland Security is agreeing with us as they're warning that a recent data exfiltration attack at Johnson Controls could have a security impact because of the physical environment and information it might have released. Johnson Controls is a government contractor that provides physical infrastructure products and services like HVAC, fire and security equipment and controls, you know, thermostats, things like that. Due to the nature of the services and products, officials at DHS are raising concerns of compromised information like DHS floor plans. According to an internal memo referenced by CNN, the stolen data could include classified and sensitive contracts for DHS that depict the physical security of many DHS facilities. In a dark reading article, it's still unclear as to what information was accessed in the breach, which we think was a ransomware attack. But various reports state that DHS is telling its employees that, quote, until further notice, we should assume that the contractor stores DHS floor plans and security information tied to contracts on their servers, end quote. Concerns are heightened because of a potential government shutdown, which could begin this coming day after tomorrow, making the incident government making the incident not only a security issue, but a time sensitive security issue. More than eighty percent of the CISO workforce will be furloughed should the shutdown go into effect, and possible cyber attacks across the nation's software supply chain will add additional consequences to putting critical infrastructure at risk. This story manages to tie together a number of trends and events we've talked about here on Twyatt. One, that cyber criminals are being more aggressive about stealing data before launching a ransomware attack. Two, that the government emphasis on cyber infrastructure security is awfully well-placed. And three, that your concerns about cybersecurity don't end at the perimeter of your organization Third-party risk is a very real, very concerning thing. Well, before I start on to my blip, I want to make a quick comment about Curtis's um, blip. I've had hands-on experience with Johnson Control and a lot of their um, building management systems. Uh, If you're running a Johnson Control system... 
when they turn the system over to you, you really and truly need to change the passwords. I'm not sure if they've changed their corporate policy, but when I had to touch them, they had default published passwords and usernames for their um, building control systems. And there was a um, organization that had their air conditioning system hacked out from under them because they didn't change their passwords. So there's a lesson here. <clears throat> now, speaking of passwords and vulnerabilities, this one, this article comes from Dark Reading, and the headline is interesting. Hikvision intercoms allow snooping on neighbors. Um, a concerning Internet of Things cyber attack vector has been uncovered, one that can turn the neighboring devices of a Hikvision smart intercom into spying devices. In a recent blog post on the attack, researcher Cyberlight Skylight Cyber warned that the potentials of such devices to be used in spyware attacks should be of concern for businesses and organizations because an attacker could potentially gain access to an individual's life denying their privacy. Hikvision devices were specifically chosen for this research because they're readily available and because the brand is popular. Researchers tested on two intercom products, the DS. KH6210L and the DSKH6320WTE1, among other things. They tested the devices inside an apartment to observe how they would interact with other devices found in a normal complex, such as door controllers, cameras, and other intercoms. Port mirroring was configured within the device to allow the researchers to capture all traffic entering and leaving the device. Okay. So I'd like to remind viewers that Hikvision is among the vendors that have been barred from being purchased and used by U.S. federal activities. Companies like ZTE, Huawei, and a few others seem to have issues with their equipment phoning home and sharing your information with hacker organization. What's a red flag is how popular these cameras have become since they're actually pretty decent cameras for a great price. Uh, but then again, the Temu online sales site has some spectacular pricing too and a rumor to also phone home with your personal information so i want you to ask yourself is the price that you pay for this so important that you're willing to give up your privacy question a high alert warning has been issued jointly by the U.S. and Japanese government, state-sponsored actors and hackers from China, known by several monikers including Black Tech and Palmer Worm, are infusing malware into routers. Now, this move gives these hackers enduring and convert, covert backdoor access into the networks of prominent multinational companies. Here's the rundown of this from Ars Technica. Now, Black Tech hackers obtain admin credentials of network devices, particularly from subsidiaries. Using these, they install covert firmware that awaits specific magic packets to execute undetected commands. Then their target, many compromised devices have been linked to Cisco, who clarified that these attacks focus primarily on their older products. Their latest devices fortified with secure boot capabilities are not affected. Now, here's the intrusion. The hackers utilize older firmware versions, altering them in runtime, bypassing Cisco's signature checks. This allows undetected SSH connections there. Now, there are some defensive measures you can take. Administrators, administrators are actually advised to monitor both inbound and outbound connections, of course. Upgrade to devices with advanced security features, of course, and check configurations and be vigilant about unauthorized changes to the devices. Cisco's newer devices with secure capabilities are immune to such attacks. Its call to action is to actually monitor, upgrade, and always stay ahead. And of course, the cybersecurity chess game. Best thing to do, upgrade. Well, folks, that does it for the blips. Next up, the bites. But before we have the bites, we make a really great sponsor of this week, Enterprise Tech, and that's Nareva. Nareva's is a meeting room audio technology and has a history of wowing IT pros. Duquesne University has 100 Nareva devices installed, and one of their senior technologists recently said, I can't say enough about how impressed I am. Audio has been my life's work for 30 years, and I'm amazed at what Nareva mic and speaker bar will do. 
Nareba has made another leap forward with their introduction of their Pro Series, featuring the HDL310 for large rooms and their HDL410 for extra large rooms. For the first time, you can get Pro Audio performance and plug-and-play simplicity in the same system. Now, before the Nareba Pro Series, multi-component Pro AV systems were the only way to get pro audio performance in large and extra large rooms. Nareva continues to amaze IT pros with the Pro Series. Now, their online demo highlights the Nareva audio expert being heard clearly from under a table or behind a pillar or any other obstruction. It's pickup performance that many conventional systems can't match. Now let's talk coverage. The HDL410 covers rooms up to 35 feet by 55 feet with just two mics and speaker bars. Imagine equipping an extra-large meeting room or lecture hall with just two discrete wall-mounted devices. You can even use them individually in a divisible room. The HDL410 also features a unified coverage map, which processes mic pickup from the two devices simultaneously to actually create a giant single mic array. The HDL310 covers spaces up to 30 feet by 30 feet with just one mic and speaker bar. And Nareva is all about simplicity here. The HDL310 takes about 30 minutes to install, and the HDL410 takes about 60 minutes. Not long at all. With continuous auto calibration, Nareva Audio automatically and continuously adapts to the changes in a room's acoustic profile. Now, with Nareva's console, their cloud-based device management platform, it takes the pain out of tasks like firmware updates, checking device status, changing settings, and a lot more. Bottom line, with the Pro Series, Nareva makes it simple to quickly and cost-effectively equip more of your spaces for remote collaboration. Learn more at nareva.com slash twit. That's N-U-R-E-V-A dot com slash T-W-I-T. And we thank Nareva for their support of This Week in Enterprise Tech. Well, folks, it's now time for the bites. And today we're going to talk a little bit about sassy solutions. That's why in the, today's digital age, CISOs and CIOs are really confronted with a ton of challenges, especially when they're actually spearheading virtual teams and that digital first revenue channel that's out there. Now, these challenges spotlight a compelling shift through to, towards the solution called Secure Access Service Edge, which is called Sassy. Now, Gartner actually offers some striking projections here. By 2025, 80% of enterprises. 80% will lean into SASE offerings, blending web, cloud, and private app channels together. Now, further testament is actually the traction that we're seeing in the market, and it's projected to actually have a robust $15 billion market by 2025. Now, at its core, SASE champions the essence of what we call zero trust. It's merging lots of different services to that get together. It's actually SD-WAN, SWG, CASP, and ZTNA that hold zero trust solutions. Now, Stuart Health's CSO actually concisely puts it, at its core, SASE is zero trust. Now, we're going to get into that in just a moment, but the shift isn't mere just text consolidation here. It's actually calculated response to pressing imperatives and elevating the security protocols, fortifying identity-based CTNA, zero trust here, and catering to the hybrid work models. Now, a prime case in point is actually Cradle Point's strategic acquisition of Aircom. And I'm sure Brian has lots to say about that. Now, this union signals a confluence of networking and cloud-centric security together. It's actually pairing Cradle Point's WAN networking prowess with Aircom's security service edge. And they're poised to actually meet the surging demand for that fortified cloud network solution. Now, Aircom CEO envisions their joint endeavor as, quote, powerful capability put together those two solutions, primed to actually define a 5G-anchored SASE as a service. Now, as the IT landscape continues to change, endeavors like that Creative Point Aircom Alliance really underscores the need for proactive response here and moving forward in these types of solutions. Now, I do want to bring my co-host back in because this is a very interesting shift as we move into the environment. I want to bring me Curtis in first because the thing that kind of called out in this article, which was interesting, is that they're saying, hey, SASE is essentially zero trust. Is that true? I mean, is, is that is that why people are gravitating to, towards it, Curtis? Well, I don't think you can say that SASE is only zero trust, but I think you have trouble getting to SASE without zero trust. Uh, put it another way, zero trust, uh, SASE must always include zero trust, but zero trust can be done without SASE. 
Um, the big thing that SASE does, and I think the reason that we're hearing so much about it, is that SASE is a necessary solution for highly divergent multiple cloud provider infrastructures. So if you have parts of an application infrastructure that are strewn across half a dozen public and private cloud vendors, as well as, you know, let's say some on-prem stuff just to keep it old school and confusing, um, even if you don't call it sassy, you're going to end up with a solution that looks and smells a lot like sassy in order to make it secure and doable. So this has been a, an evolution, but it is, I think, the the industry's response to the fact that everyone is doing hybrid cloud infrastructures now. Um, you know, if you're not doing a hybrid cloud, it's because you've only got four employees. Uh, so uh, I, I think that's really driving it. And if you understand it that way, it makes a lot more sense. Now, speaking of industry response, Chibert, what do you think the industry will respond to Cradle Point actually acquiring Aircom? Well, you, you probably ought to give a little bit of background on Aircom, uh, Cradle Point first. Um, Cradle Point, if you've been out and about and you've seen the commercial television station cameraman and you see a whole forest of antennas off the back of their camera, there is a high probability that was Cradle Point. Um, I actually am um, a partner with a company in Honolulu and we rent um mobile devices so that people can stream from the beach. They can stream from, you know, wherever, um, special events when you don't want to have to go and drag a cable behind you. Cradle Point has been part of our rental fleet for a very, very long time. And as one of the few companies that are able to bond, uh, to use the special bonding features in uh, cellular modem, cellular towers, if and only if there's enough um, channels available, it can bond way beyond what your standard mobile phone can do. Um, if you have the special accounts, you can actually bond and, and do several megabits per second. Uh, actually, enough that TV stations and so forth can run HD. Well, it's, it's um, compressed HD, but it's still HD video streaming live. So almost all your live streams from your TV stations, um, there's a good chance it's being done over Cradle Point. Now, the background on Aircom is interesting. We actually had Aircom uh, being interviewed in episode 434 and 539. Now, episode 434 talked about a remote access um offering from Aircom based on HTML5. Um, it's a direct competitor for Citrix and the VDI gateway from um, Microsoft. The difference is uh, I was able to install the Aircom gateway in about 15 minutes, and that was with tying it into Active Directory. Now, once we got to episode 539, um, by the way, 434, episode 434 was the gentleman that we had on the show that got interrupted by a missile attack in Tel Aviv. Uh, 539 started talking about this relatively new concept called SASE. And by leveraging their HTML5-based um, clients, basically any HTML5 browser could be a remote desktop client. They were offering a what would be called now a zero trust client. It was actually a virtual desktop that only had what the admin set up. And when you logged out, it would go poof. So it was isolated. It was um, jailed, whatever ac um, adjective you want. It was what I would call now a sassy client. So, 
now that the two have combined, this is going to be really interesting because now you have dedicated bandwidth from a mobile device. In fact, Cradle Point is also OEM'd into several other types of devices, um, typically ruggedized laptops. And Ericom allows you to have virtual desktops, uh, sassy virtual desktops, with very, very little bandwidth necessary to do their work. In fact, I was actually able to run 3D Revit from AutoCAD over the Ericom client, and it ran beautifully. So I think this is going to be a really, really interesting combination, and I'm looking forward to seeing how it turns out. I think the interesting thing here is, you know, we usually when companies like this, they acquire other companies, they either have a like total integration or they they kind of leave things separate. Right. They still maintain the business. They maintain the ecosystem. Cheaper. What do you think is going to happen here? Do you think it's going to be total integration and they're going to just go to integrate it in all their products and rebrand everything as cradle point? Or do you think it'll leave it separately and, and then just find better integration points? I don't know. This is going to be a really interesting thing to watch. However, um, one of the frustrations when I was talking offline with the Aircom folks is the uneven uh, integration or uneven um, implementation of a full HTML5 browser um, and how certain add-ons and extensions go and break it. So my personal wish prediction, crystal ball, whatever you want, is that I think Aircom's going to have their clients uh, and their client, their dedicated client that's written by them is actually an optimized client. So it's much, much more than just a straight HTML5 browser. Uh, and it does an amazing amount of compression. I, I was using it for several projects at the University of Hawaii. I think they're going to start sticking those into the firmware on certain cradle point devices. And I am almost certain it's going to do the same thing for OEM uh, cellular devices, especially the new 5G and 5G plus uh, devices that we're going to start seeing uh, um, ratified by the uh, International Standards Committee. One one last question to Curtis. Curtis, I'm I'm curious if you know we talked a little bit about the SaaS market, SaaS market, and how it's been. You know, it's projected to be bigger. Do you think that acquisitions like this will push forward more people utilizing it? Of course, people who are already using Cradle Point, or do you think that it'll slow the market down because there's less options out there? And uh, you know, so what do you think will happen with you know the whole concept of SaaS as a service, SaaS as a service? I don't think it's going to slow things down at all. I see there I see forces beyond just the the size or the actions of of one or two companies driving this. So I don't think it's going to slow down. Do I think this is by itself going to speed things up? I'm not sure that that is again because I think the driver is the evolution of the larger market. Um, you know, you, you've got some external drivers. What I think this is is a, a good indication of is the pickup in merger and acquisition activity. After we've had a, a couple of years where it had slowed down a bit, uh, largely as um, interest rates were going up around the world, and especially in the U.S., I think we're seeing now people deciding that the interest rate increases are stabilizing, that money is not going to get more expensive in the future. So they're they're going ahead and putting some of these trades that have been on the back burner for a while into action. Uh, the same is true of last week's Cisco taking over Splunk um, uh, deal. Uh, so I suspect we're going to see more of these. Uh, as we roll into the fourth quarter of 2023. But um, I don't see anything slowing the progress of SASE and SASE as a service unless something even better comes out of left field and just takes over the market. I'm willing to be surprised. It's not wouldn't be the first time, but I'm not aware of anything right now that would come along and knock SASE out of the game. 
You know, I think I'm going to make a prediction here. Um, we saw an announcement almost four years ago when LTE Cat M1 was starting to be rolled out. Uh, I got a briefing from AT&T, and, and back then I was under non-disclosure, no longer the case. They started doing something that they wanted to roll out for people like UPS and FedEx. Um, because LTE Cat M1 was a low bandwidth solution. However, the product was uh, they're going to put virtual servers into the data centers closest to the cellular APNs. Kind of a cool concept. Didn't really catch on. Very vertical market. However, now that 5G and 5G Plus is going to start appearing, Cradle Point with Aircom, I'll bet you we're going to start seeing some key announcements about full AT&T or full Verizon or full T-Mobile certification and partnerships where they're going to combine Aircom SASE servers in the APN data centers and they're going to go for ultra secure zero trust clients. And personally, I think one of the things that I tried to work on almost 10 years ago was Doxis 5 based HTML desktops so that you could sell a managed desktop to people at home and through your cable box, you can actually do office automation. I think this is going to be one of those turning points in the industry. We're going to start seeing some really interesting things, especially now that, you know, home five fixed point five G is rolling out and getting better. Right. So that's my prediction. Let's see if it happens within say the next year. We'll definitely have to take a snapshot and uh, come back next year to see if you're right. Well, folks, that does it for the Bice. Next up is our host roundtable. We're going to talk about document archiving and document as a service. But before we get there, we do have to thank another great sponsor of this week in enterprise tech, and that's IT Pro TV Now. It's now actually called ACI Learning. 94% of CIOs and CISOs agree that attracting and retaining talent is increasingly critical in their roles. Now, with today's IT talent shortage, it's more important than ever for your team's skills to be current. 87% of companies say that they have skill gaps in their employees. The challenge of assessing your IT staff skills is overwhelming, but it doesn't have to be. Now, ACI Learning now offers insights. It's a revolutionary skills gap analysis tool to assure you that the training you're providing is actually working. In a quick one-hour assessment, ACI Learning's insights will allow you to not just see, but understand and fix the skills gaps on your IT team. Now, this is the solution IT managers have been waiting for for a long time. But with insights, identify specific skill gaps in your employees and see where your team's weaknesses lie. Empower your team with personalized training, blanket training, waste money and time. So definitely want personalized stuff. Now, Insights offer detailed solutions, support, and strategy by issuing recommendations and training plans for individuals on your whole team. Compare your results against other organizations so you know where you stand. Test skills and close the gaps with practical labs that allow trainees to focus on the skills they need most. ACI Learning helps you retain your team and entrust them to thrive while investing in the security of your business. More than 7,200 hours of content are available with new episodes added daily. ACI Learning stomps its competitors with a 50% higher completion rate. These are the training solutions your business has been waiting for. Future-proof your team and company with insights from ACI Learning. Visit go.acilearning.com slash twit. Twit listeners can receive up to 65% off an IT Pro Enterprise Solution plan after completing their form. Based on your team's size, you'll receive a proper quoted discount tailored to your needs. And we thank ACI Learning for their support of this week in enterprise tech. Well, folks, it's time for our host roundtable. And this week, we're going to talk about document archiving. Now, guys, you know, this has been a challenge for organizations for a long time. The whole concept of digital transformation, moving from, you know, the analog, the, you know, the hard copies to the digital world, 
you know, <laughs> how far have we progressed? What do you guys think? Hey, I remember being briefed and learning how to sell right ones, read many optical systems that were 14 inch platters. And it was from Wang Laboratories. So that's how far back it goes. Yeah, it is. This is one of those things where from the very beginning of the industry, we've been dealing with documents. I mean, uh, Brian and I have certainly been around long enough to remember when the big players in the market were companies like Wang, uh, which was a purely document play. Uh, Prime and um, companies of that sort uh, were heavily into document management as their very reason for being. Um, as general purpose microcomputers came to take over the desktop for most companies, the documents and the organized storage of those documents took a back seat for a while, but it, it really only took a few years before companies started realizing just how important it is from not only a practical standpoint, from but from a governance standpoint to talk about document storage. And uh, I've got to say that's been one of the side effects of our good friend Generative AI since November of last year. All of a sudden, everybody is talking about document governance now as companies try desperately to figure out what they're going to allow to be used in training generative AI, how to put it in, how to keep it out, how to let various authorized functions have access to it. Um, it's one of those things that is an evergreen topic in the industry. Right. Yeah, I think I, I want to throw something in here because I think the one thing that I was always confused about is I did hear about, you know, I actually looked up when Brian brought up the concept of weighing laboratories and their optical storage. I thought, well, what is so special about this system? Why why does it need to be this way? And I, the whole concept of worm, which is write once, read many. Right. And I think that that concept is very important for things like, I mean, I was reading, obviously, New York Stock Exchange uses this um, U.S. Department of State, uh, U.S. Library of Con Congress. And the whole point is the idea that they have to make sure that they're able to keep their data secure and reliable for long term, right? This is data that they want to, historical data that needs to be around and available and accessible over a long period of time and need to have some kind of storage to do it. And what I'm seeing now is the trends kind of going towards, you know, these, these cloud services, these SaaS offerings that try to also offer, you know, this whole write once, read many solutions. And you have this these start concepts of applying policies to them like document retention policies where now they're trying to repeat what Wang has done, but it seems like they're doing it more in services and software than they are with actual physical hardware that they're saying, hey, this is the hardware you need to do this. So why are we seeing this kind of shift? Is it is, is it is it just as effective? I think I want to jump in here. I think Realistically, we're, we saw maybe 10, 15 years ago a fork in the industry. A lot of the clouds, cloud offerings came in and did exactly what Wang Laboratories, Digital Equipment Corporation, IBM, Prime, you name it. They could do the whole thing. They kept your documents around. They put them, they made it searchable by tags and so forth. However, one of the things that happened was in the fork, content management systems or document storage systems, one side became a case management system and the legal world adopted it wholesale. And the idea behind this is who touched it when and how. It's legal paper trails. So, one part of the industry went whole hog and really went crazy on making sure that paper trail was just as accurate as real paper. And that became the case management world. Lots of money there. However, the other end of the spectrum started going into 
are you going to be in the cloud or are you going to be on-prem? And that's, I think, going to be the big conversation today. So one of the things that I got to touch and play with, actually at CBIT in Germany, was a company called HITS. And so the product is now called from Kintronics. So, Ant, um, let's bring up the one, Kintronics. It's in cell D360. Um, Kintronics took this. It's basically based on Windows Server. It is a feature that is built into every copy of Windows Server, but they extended the capabilities. So their optical libraries are Blu-ray. In this case, they are write once, read many, with 35 disc magazines that have RFID tags in them. So what happens is you write to the front end, which is a Windows-based NAS, Network Attached Storage, and you can set timing on different file folders, directories, and so forth. After a certain amount of time, it will migrate the actual data onto the Blu-ray, but keep the metadata on the spinning disk. And the idea is you can still search for it, you can still find it, but the second you touch the file, it will issue a command, you know, a prompt to the operator, say, please mount magazine number such and such, and it'll bring it in on a jukebox, mount the data, bring it back in, and mark that it's online now. Very, very cool. It was a spectacular system. They aren't cheap, but if you're going to roll your own, it's a pretty spectacular system. And they're still available. Uh, Hits has been um, acquired by Kintronics. And uh, you can add that as a front end, and it will integrate into Active Directory beautifully. So anyway, now that I've set the history, let's kind of dive in. Let's talk about on-prem versus cloud, and let's see, you know, let's tear it apart because it's a lot of really cool things. And just as a quick extra, I'm going to ask the guys to go and put some of my um, links into the show notes because one of the things researchers have done is they use rsync and they use bash scripts. Um, there's also PowerShell equivalents. So you can archive your data in a roll your own fashion if that's all you need, if that's all you need. But on-prem versus cloud, document management, content management, it's a very, very different world from the days of Wang Laboratories. Yeah. yeah so, I, Go ahead, Curtis. Go ahead, Lou. No, no, go for it. Well, no, and I was going to say the, the thing that a lot of people uh, forget, and Brian touched on this in, in his answer, it's very easy if you've never dealt with documents by the truckload to, to think that a document is a document. You know, when when you're keeping your correspondence on your personal computer, that's that's kind of true. But when you are dealing with an enterprise level of documentation, when you're dealing with a university's level of documentation, then or the amount of documentation that goes along with a massive lawsuit, then you have to have systems that will take care of this requirements of that need. And that's why there are there are legal case management systems that specialize in organizing documents the way that the legal system needs them to be uh, uh, organized for both storage, archival storage, and for retrieval and, and use. There are special systems for healthcare. We've had conversations here on Twiat about EMS or electronical medical records, electronic medical record systems um, that were uh, dictated about 15 years ago. In the world of research, there are research management systems 
that deal with keeping track of all the data that you need if you were doing long-term research projects. Um, these are so so large that there are specific organizations, associations, trade shows that deal with each of these. And it's very difficult to make a single statement about all of them other than the ultimate goal is to put documents into them in a way that is cost-effective, to store them in a form that is secure and resilient, and to allow their retrieval affordably when necessary. Beyond that, you get into all kinds of specialized things. Lou, you have to have seen a number of these things because SharePoint is now used as one of the back ends for a lot of these individual systems and has a bunch of different consultants basically earning giant piles of money um, forming document systems for specific purposes. Right. Yeah. I, I, you know, it's funny that you guys are talking about this because I squirm a little bit in my seat when, 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 when uh, Chibert was talking about the these these optical systems or these new systems that are now available from these other vendors. Because you know, have le- having worked with organizations, I've learned, hey, you need you need mo- if you're going to go to digital, you need to have multiple copies of data, and the concept of moving from a hard copy to a digital copy but still being on site or you know co-located or whatever and having a single version of that or even a backed up version of that is not necessarily the most optimal thing for business whether even if you're in law or if you're financial you know the concept that i'm seeing a lot and i'll get your guys thoughts on this is obviously yes having a physical medium that they 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 archive these things and then they create some kind of an index so you can search through it and load it from these physical mediums but then also having a a service version of it so that their applications can access it quickly and it's you know it's it's redundant and available in multiple different locations um you know they don't have to have like a single data center that's that's being accessed across the the, the country or the world and so it becomes, and that's why they people normally gravitate towards these kind of document management services, like for instance, you know, SharePoint, or um, you know, obviously there's uh, Confluence or these other systems that are out there that offer similar approaches, and all of them are are, are attempting to adjust for what's needed for the particular industry. And so that's why I'm curious, like, are you seeing, you know, particular businesses that require the hey, I'm going to have my own private network that has these these kind of hand rolled services or systems in it, or is it that you're seeing people gravitate towards the kind of three copies of things: the hard, the digital, and then the service based? Like, what what are we seeing in what parts of the industry? Do you guys think? Well, I think one of the issues is going to be the trail. And um, so, Mr. Ant, I, I want to go into some uh, websites. One is on the legal status of scanned documents. And then the next one will go on the issues with scanned signatures. So these websites talk a lot about that. And one of the things that has been done, especially in the legal world, is they have serial numbers on every document. And when the serial numbers no longer increment, lots of interesting flags get set. So the legal uh, people have kind of taken a good hard look at that. Now, I'll bet you when we start talking about, you know, we've had conversations about the uh, non-fungible tokens for art. I just betcha all these document management people are going crazy about NFTs for documents and NFTs for the indexes. Going to be interesting. Well, you know, to to follow on what Brian said, that was one of the early examples that proponents were giving for the use of blockchain. You know, to have a distributed ledger 
that would keep track of all changes in a document that would not allow for any change to be forgotten because the change would be stored along the chain. Um, We haven't seen blockchain used for that purpose as much as I frankly thought it would have been by now. Um, This is one of those cases, I think, where the industry got so distracted by the bright, shiny new toy of cryptocurrency that it forgot about some of the more practical uses of blockchain, like we've been talking about following the audit trail for documents. Um, I suspect that in a few years' time, we'll see it come back around and be used more for that because it makes a, a ton of sense. We've got an awful lot of stuff going on around these documents. And, you know, Lou, you asked, you know, who uses the different kinds of documents or document management systems? And I think in many cases it boils down to uh, a couple of forks. Number one, if you are not large enough to have a dedicated development team that you can put on this, well, you're going to buy it as a service from somebody because that's really your only choice. If you are big enough to have a dedicated development system, then your your dividing line is, is somewhere else because then it becomes, is developing this a core competency of our business? In other words, is having our very own solution something that would provide a competitive advantage in the marketplace? If it would then you go ahead and you develop it. And as an example, I would give a couple of uh, publications who have done that. I think the New York Times rolled their own and then sold it, ended up selling it to some other publishers. And there have been a couple, few other examples like that. But if your primary business is actually using the documents rather than developing a way to store and manage the documents you're right back to buying it. Uh, Even if you have to do some significant customization, you're going to buy as much of it as you can. Right. Yeah, I think that's interesting because I think a lot of organizations, especially in the law uh, part of the the market, you're seeing the more of a combination, not only physical documents to become digital, but also audio files, images, videos that also are kind of correlated to these hard copies. And so you'll start, you're starting to see a lot of services out there start to gravitate towards being able to handle these, you know, assets in the same similar way, being able to make them searchable using AI against videos to determine, you know, content and and, um, you know, time keys and that kind of thing and being able to store that kind of thing, indexing files and images and trying to determine what's in them and make them searchable. And I feel like a lot of these systems that are, you know, that even Brian has linked to these kind of like solely archivable systems are limited to just data storage and being searched by, you know, whatever the data entry person has put in there. Do you see the market shifting more towards utilizing systems that take advantage of these plugins and these AI capabilities that are helping organizations get there faster? Or do you see organizations sticking around to like data entry type things as they move from, from hard copy to digital? The word that I hear is that this is going to be one of the great um, coming uses of generative AI because you can train a model on the documents and the other data types uh, from a single organization. Uh, Don't share that model with the wider world. In other words, keep it uh, internal to the organization. But if someone is looking for information on an internal basis, if they're trying to put together uh, data across multiple documents. So, you know, for your example, uh, the one that we've been using a lot, a law firm. If you had an enormous law firm that's trying to go through their case files and find 
evidence, fine uh, discussions, fine uh, judgments that might be useful in making a case, they'll be able to do that. So I think that we are going to see generative AI widely used on an internal basis um, on very, very task-specific uh, cases in in the coming, say, 24 months. Well, I'm going to jump in. Um, automation. I think it's not going to be automation just for automation's sake. It's going to be tying together a lot of different technologies. I think in this case, automation is going to be um, file management. It's going to be indexing using generative AI. It's going to be um, making sure the trail is kept with, say, like blockchain. I think actually automation is going to be more of a, oh, my God, this industry is going to have a paradigm shift. We've got the individual tools. We've got the pieces. I'm just waiting for them to be put together. And I think we're going to start seeing some very, very interesting things out there. And unfortunately, I think the the big one that's going to be a problem is actually going to be government. Um, let's, let's do a fast example since we're running out of time. It's when the digital signatures... Um, were starting to be accepted by the federal government. It took the Hawaii state government in another, what, six, seven, eight years before they started um, allowing it. And the interesting thing is the pandemic forced their hand. So a silver lining to the pandemic is it's going to put, I think it's pushed us closer to document management, putting together all the automation so that we no longer have to go and search through file drawers. Maybe that's a show title. No more file drawers. <laughs> Wouldn't that be nice not to have to do anything manual anymore? <laughs> that's the ultimate goal, I think. Well, folks, you know what? We ran out of time. I think we probably could talk about this for a long time. In fact, I was hoping that we could get to some suggestions on business when choosing either these case management, document management services, but that'll have to wait till another episode, unfortunately. So, folks, thank you so much for being here. Of course, we want you to keep up with your enterprise in IT news, and I definitely want you to tune Podcatcher to Twyatt. But I also want to thank everyone who makes this show possible, especially to my wonderful co-hosts here, Shine the Very Own, Mr. Brian Chi Chibert. What's going on for you the coming weeks? Where can people find you? Uh, I'm going to be up in a um, boom lift again. I've got lots <laughs> of fibers to put up in the air. Um, but I am um, talking about all kinds of goofy things that I'm doing. Uh, sometimes embarrassing things like getting stuck in a boom lift for half an hour or so. Uh, but I do a lot of that on Twitter, which is now called X. Still don't understand the name change. I'm sorry, Elon. You know, still, I, I think Twitter was much more um, an appropriate name. Anyway, I am ADVNETLAB, Advanced Net Lab, um, back from the days at the University of Hawaii. But we throw, I throw out all kinds of stuff there. Now, you're also more than welcome. Some of you have been throwing some really interesting ideas at me. Um, the document storage uh, content management system question is actually almost two years old. So I apologize it's taking me so long to sneak this in. Um, but some people have been asking about it. So thank you for that suggestion. So you're welcome to throw ideas at me via email at Chebert, spelled C-H-E-E-B-E-R-T, at twit.tv, or throw it at twit at twit.tv, and it'll hit all the hosts. We'd love to hear your ideas. Sorry it took so long to get this one on air. Thank you, Cheever. We also thank our very own Mr. Curtis Franklin. Curtis, what's going on for you in the coming weeks? Where can people find you? Well, like I said, I've got some uh, pieces coming up on Dark Reading and over at Omdia.com. And I'm starting to put together my thinking around trends to watch for 2024. I would love 
to hear suggestions from the Twyatt Riot, what you're thinking about for the coming year. Uh, let me know. You Feel free to get in touch with me on LinkedIn. I'm Curtis Franklin on Mastodon, KG4GWA at mastodon.sdf.org. Uh, I'm still on X at KG4GWA. Any or all of these are ways to reach me. Always love it when I can hear from members of the Twyatt Riot. Thank you, Curtis. Well, we also have to thank you as well. You're the person who drops in each and every week to watch and to listen to our show to get your enterprise goodness. We want to make it easy for you to watch and listen and catch up on your enterprise and IT news. You go to our show page right now, twit.tv slash twiet, T-W-I-E-T. There you'll find all the amazing back episodes, of course, and of course, the links of the stories that we do during the show. But more importantly, next to those videos there, you'll get those helpful subscribe and download links. Get your audio version or video version of your choice. Listen on any one of your devices because we're on all of the podcast applications out there. So definitely choose one and subscribe. Now, you may have also heard we also have Club Twit as well. It's a members only ad free podcast service with a bonus Twit Plus feed that you can't get anywhere else. And it's only seven dollars a month. And there's a lot of great things about Club Twit. One of them is the exclusive access to the members only Discord server. You can chat with hosts, producers They have lots of discussion channels in there, lots of special events. Lots of fun stuff. So definitely check out Club Twit at twit.tv slash Club Twit. And they also offer corporate group plans as well. That's why right, it gives you a great way to give your entire team access to our ad-free tech podcast. And the plans are with include five members at a discounted rate of $6 each per month. And you can as, get as many seats as you like. And it's a really great way for your IT department, your developers, your sales teams to stay up to date with access to all of our podcasts. And just like that regular membership, you get the Twit Discord server access as well as that Twit Plus bonus feed. So definitely join Club Twit as part of corporate group plans. And, of course, they also have family plans, too. You get two seats, $12 a month, and you can add as many seats as you like. There is $6 each per month. So definitely check out Club Twit, twit.tv slash Club Twit. I want to thank everyone who makes this show possible, of course. And also, you know, before we, we move on, I also want to make sure that you know that we do the show live. We do the show live each and every week, 1.30 p.m. Pacific time, Fridays at live.twit.tv. That's the live stream. You can come see how the pizza's made, all the behind the scenes, the banter before and after the show. Come come watch the show live. And you know what? If, if you're going to watch the show live, you might as well jump into our famous IRC channel as well, our Twit Live channel. And you can get to it by just going to irc.twit.tv. It'll pop you into the Twit Live channel. And you got a lot of amazing characters there each and every week. Lots of fun people in there. And they continue to make this show interesting and fun for us every week. So definitely... Be part of that if you're going to watch the show live. Now, definitely hit me up. I want you to contact me, talk about show ideas, talk about tech, whatever you want to do. I'm on Twitter, of course, or x, x.com slash UMM, twitter.com slash UMM. Of course, I'm also on threads. That's Lou MPM on threads. And I'm on Mastodon, Lou MM at twit.social. So direct message me, whatever. I would love to hear from you. And of course, you want to know what I do during my normal work week at Microsoft. You can check out developers.microsoft.com slash office. There we post all the latest and greatest ways for you to customize your office experience to make it more productive for you. And of course, if you have Microsoft 365, pop open Excel right now and check out that automate tab. That's right. That's where my team lives today. And of course, also check out the preview of Python and Excel. Lots of fun stuff going on there. I want to make sure I thank everyone who makes this show possible, especially to Leo and Lisa. They continue to make this show part of our lives each and every week and they continue to support us. So thank you for all their support over the years and thank you to all the engineers and staff at Twit. Of course, thank you to Mr. Brian Chi one more time because he's not only our co-host, but he's also our tireless producer as well. That's why he does all the bookings and the plans before the show. So we couldn't do the show without him. Of course, thank you to our editor because they're going to make us look good after the fact, cut out all my mistakes. And of course, thank you to our technical director today, the talented Mr. Ant Pruitt. Ant, we had a pretty fun time this week in, uh, in the AMA. Thank you for hosting that. I appreciate the, t- the time and everything. Hey, I got to tell you, Mr. Louie, that was quite a treat. It was, it was nice to be able to get to know a little bit more about you beyond sitting here giving you grief here on This Week in Enterprise Tech each and every Friday like I normally do. I was able to give you some brief off of the live stream, if you will. But it was a lot of fun. So, folks, if you're not a part of um, the Club Twit membership, go ahead and check it out and find out what exactly uh, – is and is not pizza. I'll just leave it at that. Thank you. (laughs) 
That's right. That's right. Do we have any other events coming up soon? Actually, we do. Um, next week, I'll be interviewing sci-fi author Mr. John Scalzi. Uh, his book just came out a couple of weeks ago. Uh, it's called Start of Villains, and I'm almost finished with that, and I want to try to be prepared when I sit down and speak with him. And uh, We have a bunch more events coming up in the coming months and riding out the year. We'll do an escape room. going to do an inside twit. Um, with the co-host doing an escape room and another AMA with Renee Ritchie and some stuff coming up with the old farts. We affectionately called them the old farts. That's uh, Mr. Laporte, Mr. Jeff Jarvis, and Mr. Doc Searle. So, yeah, stay tuned. It's going to be a lot of fun. Thank you, Ed. Look out for it. Until next time, I'm Louis Moresco. Just reminding you, if you want to know what's going on in the Enterprise, just keep quiet. Hey, we should talk Linux. It's the operating system that runs the internet, but your game consoles, cell phones, and maybe even the machine on your desk. But you already knew all that. What you may not know is that TwitNow has a show dedicated to it, the Untitled Linux Show. Whether you're a Linux pro, a burgeoning sysadmin, or just curious what the big deal is, you should join us on the Club Twit Discord every Saturday afternoon for news, analysis, and tips to sharpen your Linux skills. And then make sure you subscribe to the Club Twit exclusive Untitled Linux Show. Wait, you're not a Club Twit member yet? Well, go to twit.tv slash club twit and sign up. Hope to see you there. All you want is to meet your security and compliance requirements. But your business technology keeps changing. Cyber threats emerge every day. More regulations apply to you now than ever before. And your IT resources remain limited. The Center for Internet Security can help. At CIS, we work to create a safer world for people, businesses, and governments through collaboration and innovation. Using a community-driven consensus process, we work with IT professionals and volunteers around the world to develop and maintain security best practices. These resources save you time, money, and effort wherever you are on your cybersecurity journey. We also work with U.S. state, local, tribal, and territorial government organizations to share information with one another so they're stronger together. Join us today in creating confidence in the connected world. Visit cisecurity.org to play your part.